precious listeners. The following is an account from Henry Halford's account of the opening of the tomb of Charles I. For many years, the exact place in which Charles I was buried after his execution was doubtful. Although it had been accurately described by one of the grooms of his bedchamber, Mr. Herbert. King Charles II had endeavored to find his father's body with the view of reinterring it with suitable ceremonies to compensate for the indignities shown on its previous burial. For those of you who have forgotten, Charles I was beheaded as monarch of England and for a time, Oliver Cromwell took over as government leader. Charles II was reinstated shortly after. It was known that he had been interred somewhere in St. George's Chapel at Windsor, but during the Cromwellian regime, this chapel had undergone so many alterations that those who sought for the tomb were baffled. In 1813, however, in making some alterations under the choir of the chapel, an opening was accidentally made through the wall of the vault in which King Henry VIII's body had been placed. And besides the coffin of King Henry VIII, there were found to be two other coffins in the vault, one of Jane Seymour and the other that of Charles I. The Prince Regent, in order to clear up any doubt as to the correctness of the latter supposition, ordered that the coffin be opened and the body examined. This was done on April 1st, 1813, in the presence of the Prince Regent and several other persons. Sir Henry Halford, who was among these, wrote an account of the circumstances and of his examination of the body, which is published among his collection of essays and addresses. The event has so much historic interest, and the written account of it is so rare, that here we reproduce the essential portions of it with a drawing made of the king's head as it appeared when exhumed. See Instagram for this illustration. On removing the pall, a plain leaden coffin with no appearance of ever having been enclosed in wood, and bearing an inscription, King Charles, 1648, in large, legible characters, on a scroll of lead encircling it, immediately presented itself to the view. A square opening was then made in the upper part of the lid, of such dimensions as to admit a clear insight into its contents. These were an internal wooden coffin, very much decayed, and the body carefully wrapped up in sear cloth, into the folds of which a quantity of unctuous or greasy matter mixed with resin, as it seemed, had been melted, so as to exclude as much as possible the external air. The coffin was completely full, and from the tenacity of the sear cloth, great difficulty was experienced in detaching it successfully from the parts which it enveloped. Wherever the unctuous matter had insinuated itself, the separation of the sear cloth was easy, and when it came off, a correct impression of the features to which it had been applied was observed in the unctuous substance. At length, the whole face was disengaged from its covering. 
The complexion of the skin was dark and discolored. The forehead and temples had lost little or nothing of their muscular substance. The cartilage of the nose was gone, but the left eye, in the first moment of exposure, was open and full, though it vanished almost immediately. The pointed beard, so characteristic of the period of the reign of King Charles, was perfect. The shape of the face was a long oval. Many of the teeth remained, and the left ear, in consequence of the interposition of the unctuous matter between it and the seer cloth, was found entire. It was difficult at this moment to withhold a declaration that, notwithstanding its disfigurement, the countenance did bear a strong resemblance to the coins, the busts, and especially to the pictures of King Charles I by Van Dyck, by which it had been familiar to us. It is true that the minds of the spectators of this interesting sight were well prepared to receive this impression, but it is also certain that such a facility of belief had been occasioned by the simplicity and truth of Mr. Herbert's narrative, every part of which had been confirmed by the investigation so far as had advanced, and it will not be denied that the shape of the face the forehead, an eye, and the beard are the most important features by which resemblance is determined. When the head had been entirely disengaged from the attachments which confined it, it was found to be loose and, without any difficulty, was taken up and held to view. It was quite wet and gave a greenish-red tinge to paper and linen which touched it. The back part of the scalp was entirely perfect and had a remarkably fresh appearance, the pores of the skin being more distinct, as they usually are when soaked in moisture, and the tendons and ligaments of the neck were of considerable substance and firmness. The hair was thick at the back part of the head and, in appearance, nearly black. A portion of it, which has since been cleaned and dried, is of a beautiful dark brown color. That of the beard was a redder brown. On the back part of the head, it was more than an inch in length and had probably been cut so short for the convenience of the executioner, or perhaps by the piety of friends soon after death, in order to furnish memorials of the unhappy king. On holding up the head to examine the place of separation from the body, the muscles of the neck had evidently retracted themselves considerably, and the fourth cervical vertebrae was found to be cut through its substance transversely, leaving the surfaces of the divided portions perfectly smooth and even, an appearance which could have been produced only by a heavy blow. Inflicted with a very sharp instrument, and which furnished the last proof wanting to identify King Charles I. After this examination of the head, which served every purpose in view, and without examining the body below the neck, it was immediately restored to its situation. The coffin was soldered up again, and the vault closed. Sir Henry Halford, the author of the above record, who was born in 1766 and died in 1844, had the largest and most fashionable practice in the London of his time. 
He was vulgarly known as the eel-backed baronet because of the means he employed to ingratiate himself in royal favor. His real name was Vaughn. He changed it to Halford in 1809 on receiving a large bequest from a relative who bore the latter surname. In the same year, he was made a baronet. He was physician to George III, George IV, and William IV. When George III died, Sir Henry rode post-haste from the royal deathbed to notify his brother of his accession. He was president of the College of Physicians from 1820 until his death. He is said to have retained in his possession the fourth cervical vertebrae of Charles I and to have been in the habit of producing it at his dinner table, showing it to his guests as a curiosity. It is curious that apparently no microscopic examination was made to ascertain the character of the supposed bloodstains. So saith one Francis R. Packard. It came to be that the Dean of Canterbury and other cathedral staff were faced with a similar and strange task. They were to open up the cathedral's only tomb of a monarch holding the remains of Henry IV, or at least they hoped it was. Because for centuries there had been doubts that the king, who reigned from 1399 until his death in 1413, was actually in there. The story went that during a dinner party in Hounslow, some weeks after that king died, those present were singing the praises of the late monarch. And one guest said, God knows whether he was a good man, but this I know for certain while his body was conveying in a small vessel from Westminster towards Canterbury to be buried there, I was one of three persons who threw the corpse into the sea between Barking and Gravesend. A storm had been raging at the time, and it is thought the superstitious sailors tossed the king overboard to try to calm the weather. This would certainly have disappointed Henry, who had requested Canterbury as his resting place. Rumors abounded that the body had been thrown into the Thames near Gravesend. So, in order to finally put these rumors to bed, in 1832, the dean and some canons inspected the tomb some 419 years after the burial. They had to saw through the lid of the coffin and then cut through a leaden case within. Under this they found leather wrappers of a deep brown color and earthy smell, according to historic documents posted online by the Kent Archaeological Society. Furthermore, these wrappers were cut through and lifted off when, to the astonishment of all present, the face of the deceased king was seen in complete preservation. The most recent British monarchs to have been exhumed from their resting places include Richard III, having been discovered in a Leicester car park, and shortly afterward, his predecessor, Alfred the Great. Mostly due to um, anxieties on the part of local parishes that these bodies would be trifled with by excitable amateur archaeologists. Perhaps they're right to be a little Concerned, after all, who knows what kind of amazing medicines could be made with a monarch's head. Anyway, 
Thanks as always for listening and please tune in again next weekend for a freshly unearthed and disturbing tale. Good night. <laughs>